In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Voice of Islam Radio. As you know, Voice of Islam Radio is presenting the true teaching of Islam here in the West, basically broadcasting from the biggest mosque of UK, the Battle for Two Mosque. And dear listeners, if you want to learn about Islam, then I think Voice of Islam is one of the best platforms you have. You can learn about Islam, you can learn how Muslims have basically stayed here in the West and how they have lived with their faith here in the West as well. Um, you can, If you want to learn more about Islam, we have other platforms as well. You can go on our socials at Voice of Islam UK or you can go on, t- on the internet at www.alislam.org or on YouTube at m- m- and on YouTube, YouTube channel uh, Muslim Television. These are those platforms, the listeners, where you can learn about Islam, where you can find out more about the truth of about Islam, and you will realize Islam is a peaceful religion, and Islam can fit easily in the Western society as well, because we, the Muslims, who are living here in the West, we have lived here for a long time now with our faith, and our faith has helped us to live here in the, in the West as well, and to integrate in the West as well, and to be a part of this society as well. So dear listeners, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to another episode of Breakfast Show. My name is Shahil Munir Ahmed and I'm going to be your host for the next two hours. Dear listeners, I hope you have enjoyed your breakfast or I hope you're enjoying your breakfast right now because I'm going to make sure that you also enjoy the show today. We have prepared two very interesting topics. The first topic, dear listeners, is about wildfires. Um, as you know, you just had it in the news as well. We have the wildfire in Hawaii. We have the wildfire in Greece, Italy, Turkey, Portugal. So we will discuss about the wildfire. We will discuss about the causes. We will discuss about how we can prevent wildfire. We will have very interesting guests as well, dear listeners. We will have Professor Stefan Dorr and Dr. Matthew Kosa, who will discuss this uh, topic with us as well. And we will also discuss about those real heroes who put their life in danger for us. Uh, let's say who basically put their life in service for us. We will discuss about them as well. We will discuss everything also from the Islamic perspective as well. And the listeners, very interesting is that we will also discuss about prophecies made about the Prophet Islam, who is the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and what he has prophesied or what was prophesied about him and about this disaster we see in this day and age. And after the 8 o'clock news, we will discuss about a new multi-faith complex which was built in Abu Dhabi, which is basically a mosque, synagogue and a church, which is the first kind and uh, we see in this world, we will discuss this as well. We discuss what Islam says basically about other religions, especially about the Arabic religion. And for that, we will have the Imam Imam Ibrahim Nun in the studio as well, who is the Imam of the Ahmadi Muslim community in Ireland. So, dear listeners, as promised, I will make sure that you will enjoy this show today. Just do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio. And before we go to our first topic, dear listeners, just have a look. On the news, as you just mentioned, we have the news in about Hawaii and the wildfire, which we will come later on, which we will which we'll, we will discuss later on as well as promised. But before we do so, let's have a look on the weather, dear listeners. So today, 
it is warm and largely dry today with any larger areas of cloud breaking up to leave sunny spells and patchy cloud for most. Showers moving into Northern Ireland and the southwest by the evening. However, tonight cloud and showery rain will push east across the north, heavy and possibly thundery in places. A few showers will trail over the southwest but the southeast will remain largely dry. The listeners tomorrow on Friday, rain will clear the northeast on Friday, leaving most with sunny spells, patchy cloud and a few scattered showers. These most likely in the north and west, turning cloudy later for Northern Ireland. So, on the weekends, dear listeners, Saturday and Sunday will be a breezier with low pressure moving closer to the UK with variable cloud and scattered showers. Showers will be most frequent in the west and the north and thundery at times in the north. Similarly, similar but less breezy on Monday with sunny spells and the odd showers in the south. But cloudier for a time with heavy showers in the north. So the listeners, um, the weather is very unpredictable. Uh, either you will see the sun or you will see rain. So just make sure that you stay healthy in these uh, days as well. Uh, as this is very important uh, as well, Islam has always promoted that that people should stay healthy and should look after each other. Dear listeners, um, I don't know if you have uh, time, if you have already time to read the newspaper. Um, I'll just go across, uh, just going to see what the headlines are in different newspapers. The Daily Express have said Immigration Minister Robert Jenick says <clears throat> he's very confident the Supreme Court will rule in favor of plans to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, but that he will do whatever is necessary to end the small boat crisis. The Daily Express reports the paper says his comments come after being asked whether the UK would quit the European Convention on Human Rights if the government loses. Also, the Daily uh, Telegraph is also... Um, Discussing this point by reporting that up to the th- a third of Rishi Sunak's cabinet will ask him to put leaving the European Convention of Human Rights at the heart of the next general election campaign if flights to Rwanda are blocked by the courts. Well, it's it's one way that um, you discuss how to stop people coming illegal to this country, or it, and then you also discuss how to stop. People by crossing uh, the sea by small boats, but then you're sending them to a country where basically it is difficult for them because they the reason coming up to the Great Britain is because they believe Great Britain is great. And one thing which makes Great Britain great is, great is that they are bringing people from different background and making them a part of the society, which is very important for Great Britain as well and for the history as well. Um. For Great Britain has always been known, or the UK has always been known for a country who has come and who has welcomed people from different backgrounds and has helped them to integrate in the society. And I think these people, they come with big hopes, with dreams, which, and um, leaving their home country is not always easy. It's very difficult. And there must be a reason, big reason why they're doing so. So we should understand this point as well and we should give them a chance. We should give them a chance. Yes, we should make it easier for them to come to the UK. We should make it. We should find a way um, for them. Should find a way to cross the uh, the sea 
safely and of course we should also end the crisis which is happening in their homelands as well which is the main reason why they are leaving basically their country and coming towards the UK dear listeners um, Daily Mail is reporting if that is saying that uh, basically asked whether the UK has finally turned a corner on mortgage misery after several high profile lenders cut their rates. Halifax, the nation's largest lender, will slash the cost of its loans this week by up to 0.7 percentage points, the paper reports. And if you have read the Daily Mail, then you have also seen that there's a big picture of Harry, Prince Harry. After three years, he was stripped of his HRH title on Royal Family's website. The Guardian's report that one of the Three students starting universities year may opt to live at home, according to research that found rising costs and family needs were affecting the COVID generation of school leavers. Also, the Guardian's reports about 41 migrants who have lost their life after the boat a boat sink. Thing. Is it said that at least 41 people are feared to have died after a boat sank in the of the Italian island of Lampedusa? In the central Mediterranean, Italian authorities and the U- UN said yesterday. Four people rescued yesterday morning by a Maltese boat carrier and eventually moved to an Italian Coast Guard patrol boat, said they had been on a vessel that set off from the Tunisian port of Sfax six days ago and sung on its way to Italy. The survivor, a 13 years old boy, a woman, and two men from Ivory Coast and Guana, said that the precocious metal boat carrying 45 passengers had begun to take on water as soon as they reached the open seas. Suddenly we were overwhelmed by a giant wave, one survivor told the Coast Guard. Almost all the passengers, who are believed to be from sub-Saharan African and included three children, ended up in the sea for hours. According to the survivors' testimonies, at least 41 passengers are believed to have drowned. So again, the listeners, as I just mentioned, it is always a reason that these people are leaving their hometown, their home countries, their houses, the places they have grown up. And coming to the UK or coming to the EU is because they have big hopes. They basically put their hopes on these authorities here in the UK or in the EU that they will help them to have a better life so they can integrate with such in the society as well and try to build up the society as well. For, for I think... My parents who migrated from Pakistan to the UK, to the EU, here in the Western society, they always told me that they came because they wanted me and my children, my sisters and my brother to be a part of this Western society. And uh, even though we have different religion, we have a different faith, even though they told me that you can be a part of this society, you can be, you can have friends from the society and uh, this is basically this is how they helped me to become a part of the society as well and if you have if 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 you only want to live a peaceful life which is very important which everyone wants then of, obviously you do everything to help these people as well islam is a religion who promotes that if whatever you like for yourself you should desire the same for your brothers and sisters as well so if I want to have a peaceful life, of course I want this for my brothers and sisters as well. But one most important thing is that there are disturbance and 
in every part of the uh, uh, unfortunately and we need to bring this to an end and the world leaders they need to come together and they need, have need to come with a plan which is helpful for everyone as well um this holiness uh, the first caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community he has spoke about this problem many many times and he mentioned one very important thing if that we need to put our ego aside we need to look not only for us or for our country but we need to look for the whole world and uh, we need to bring those countries to poor countries to 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 stabilize them to bring them up to help them financially as well so they can stand financially in the same level as these superpowers as well so this is very important i believe as well because then we won't have any problems and we will be in the same level as everyone as well and then we will have the same respect as well the time dear listeners the time reports on comment made by met police boss uh, mark rowley who is calling on ministers to urgently push through legislation which would give dismissal powers to police chief rather than independent lawyers he says that the uh, said that he basically called, called uh, on ministers to urgently push through legislation giving police chiefs dismissal powers instead of independent lawyers who he said were fundamentally soft so Mark Rowley um, expressed frustration over months of delay to a government review of the national discipline, disciplinary system and said an overhaul of standards in his own force was being held back. He told the Times had that he told the Times that taxpayers were footing to bill for a slow and bureaucratic process because it was overseen by lawyers. More than two hundred officers accused of wrongdoing at the Met are on full pay, many of whom are suspended in a progress process that can take years. Rowley said, I've got a big mission to sort out here and I'm in hurry to get it on with. And it's frustrating when that's held up by others, such as getting this legislation right. He's saying this is slowing us down and we are building up big backlogs of cases. This is a national issue, meaning that there will be hundreds of officers who would have been sacked by officers chaired panels but are still serving across the country. Rowley, who took charge last September, has vowed to rid of rid the mat of rogue to rid the mat of rogue officers after a series of scandals, including the abduction, rape and murder of Sarah Avarad by a serving of policemen in twenty twenty one. Now he's embarked on the biggest purge in fifty years with hundreds of officers being sacked, suspended or placed unrestricted duties. However, he and other chiefs, including Andy Marsh, who is in charge of national standards, as head of the College of Policing, have repeatedly said that they are lumb, but with officers they would have sacked. The final say on cross-misconduct cases have been given to lawyers known as legally qualified chairs because of concern that the disciplinary system was secretive and that senior police should not mark their own homework. A Home Office review, which is considered whether power should be handed back to senior police, was expected in May but has been delayed. Rowley questioned whether lobbying by organizations such as the Police Federation, which represent rank and file officers, was behind the delay. In a separate opinion piece, in, in the time, he urged the government to stay the course and warned, I worry that if the outcome just a watered-down vision of the necessary reform rather than bold change, 
then the message will be sent that this that the system as a whole is weak and unstandard. So this is a uh, basically what the, the time has reported. Um, Metro leads with the arrest of comedian Hardeep Singh Kohli, who has been charged in connection with non-recent sexual office offenses. The 54-years-old arrest follows an investigation by the Times newspaper, which said several people have raised concern about his behavior. Which is saying that comedian Hardeep Singh has been arrested and charged over sex offenses, police have revealed. The 54-year-old TV host who has starred in BBC Celebrity MasterChef and the one, the one Show will appear in court over the non-recent allegation, they added. His arrest follows an investigation by the Times newspaper which said that several people had raised concern about his behaviour. Police Scotland confirmed last month it was investigation the allegation. Yesterday, a spokesperson said a report has been submitted to Scotland's to Scotland's authorities. Coley has been bailed to appear in court at the future date. The London-born Glaswegian, known for wearing glitzy suits, kills and colourful turbans, found TV, TV fame after a few years. So this is what Dimitri has uh, reported. Um... Daily Mirror fame, uh, Philip Schofield has been spotted in public for the first time in weeks, according to the Daily Mirror, which features an image of the former dismorning presenter leaving a West London restaurant with friend Vanessa Fels. It comes as ITV faces fresh bullying allegations in the, in the wake of the row that caused Mr. Schofield his job. So, the listeners, this is what uh, the newspaper have said over this is the. Uh, on the headlines of the newspaper, um, there are also other f- uh, few news I want to share with you. As you just have heard before, uh, a man who threatened Biden was shot dead uh, in an FBA raid in Utah. BBC is reporting that a man who posted violent threats against President Joe Biden and other officials online was shot dead during an FBI raid on Wednesday. Agents were attempting to serve an arrest warrant on Craig Robertson at his home in Utah, just hours ahead of a planned visit to the state by President Joe Biden. A criminal complaint said Robertson posted threats on Facebook against Mr. Biden and a prosecutor pursuing criminal charges against Donald Trump. The FBI declined to give more details. The raid happened uh, about... Uh, quarter by six local time in Provo, which is 40 miles um, south of Salt Lake City. A criminal complaint outlined messages that Robertson made on Facebook, including pictures of guns and threats to kill Mr. Biden and Alvin Breck, the Manhattan District Attorney, leading an investigation to a hush money payment by Mr. Trump to an idol film star. According to the complaint, other messages targeted U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland and New York Attorney General Leticia James. Robertson posted on Facebook, I have Biden is coming to Utah, digging out my old suit and cleaning the dust of the M24 sniper rifle. It was just one of dozens of violent messages and photos of weapons posted on two of Robertson's Facebook accounts. The complaint said Robertson came to the attention of federal agents in March after he posted a threat against Mr. Breck 
on Truth Social, the social network owned by Mr. Trump. The company alerted the FBI's National Threat Operations Center. The FBI agents then visited the suspect, who told them that he, the post was a dream and ended the conversation by saying, we are done here, don't return without a warrant. Later, post by Robertson referenced referenced his encounter with the agent, showed him uh, using a sniper uh, and repeatedly threatening public officials. The message continued as late on Tuesday when he posted, when he posted perhaps Utah will become famous this week as the place a sniper took out Biden the March Mar- Mar- 6th. Mr. Biden will make his first visit to Utah as president on Thursday with a visit to a veterans hospital and a fundraising event in Park City. The listeners... Dolly Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he has advised us that a state authority, we should respect them and this is what we will follow always and we hope, we pray for every state authority but we also hope that but decision they make for the world is helpful and we hope that they try to maintain, try to maintain peace in the society, which we can't see in every part of the world. So I just want to mention this as well. Um, we also hope that the, the visit of Mr. Biden in Utah is, um, goes without any complication and uh, that the person and other people who are basically against a state authority, that they, have, that they should be stopped as soon as possible. But as I said before, totally perfect peace upon him has put this pressure on us as well that we should respect every state authority as well. Um, coming to another state authority, which is Fernando Vela Vicencio, um, who has unfortunately been shot dead, who was a candidate in Ecuador's presidential election, um, who was also a member of the country's National Assembly. He was attacked uh, as he left the event in the northern city of Quito on Wednesday. Uh, where he attended a campaign rally. A member of his campaign team told local media Mr. Villavincencio was getting into a car when a man stepped forward and shot him in the head. Current President Gulmo Lasso vote the criminal will not go unpunished. Witnesses said Mr. Villavincencio was shot three times. The suspect was also shot in a change of bullets with security and later died from his injuries. The country's attorney general said on social media. They added that nine people suffered injuries, including a candidate for assembly and two police officers. The first round of the presidential election is scheduled to take place on 20th of August. Mr. Lasso, who will not be in the ballot, said he was outraged and shocked by the killing, adding, organized crime has come a long way, but the full weight of the law is going to fall on them. So, dear listeners, um, this is just few news I just wanted to mention um, as I said before there are so many things we can discuss so many things happen right now in the world we will discuss about wildfires well as this is very current and happening in many parts of the world like you just said Hawaii Greece Italy Portugal as well we will discuss about history of wildfire and um, we will discuss about how we can prevent wildfire as well. We, dear listeners, we will go now for a short break. Do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voice of Islam Radio. And afterwards, when we will be back, we will discuss the first segment, which is wildfire and 
about a prophecy made about the problem silence at the Salam as well, the founder of the MDM so committee. So, dear listeners, it's going to be very interesting. So, do me a favor, stay tuned with the Worcester Salam Radio. Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. What is the concept of life after death in Islam and Ahmadiyyat? Islam teaches that life continues after one departs from this world. Death means leaving this world to live on in a different place and form, which is not physical. The material body within which a person lived during his presence on this earth will disintegrate after death and will remain on this earth while the soul moves on and continues to live within another body that has formed according to the person's deeds and actions during his life on earth. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious of merciful dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. My name is Shah Munir Ahmed, and as promised, we will come to our first segment of the show, which is Wildfire. And uh, which is we have seen it might be the worst heat wave which we have seen in three decades the listeners um you have heard wildfire name quite often i'm pretty sure and uh, if you know what you do or if you have any let's say um opinion on that or if you know how to prevent wildfire yes why not just call in the number is 0208-687-878 or you can go on our socials at some you could you can be a part of the show you can call in anytime Dear listeners, um, as I said, wildfire, you can call forest fire, bushfire, wildfire, is unplanned, uncontrolled, and you can also say unpredictable. Um, now, depending on the type of vegetation present, a wildfire may be more specifically identified as a bushfire, or desert fire, grass fire, hill fire, etc. Now, some natural forest ecosystems depend on wildfire, okay, like might be interesting because this is something we don't know. Wildfire, for example, are distinct from beneficial human usage of wildfire, wildland fire, called controlled or prescribed burning. Now, this is very important because mostly the wildfire is not controllable. But here it is said that for the beneficial, for us, uh, usage of wildland fire, called controlled or prescribed burning, other controlled burns can turn into wildfires. Okay. So, modern forest management often engage in prescribed burns to uh, mitigate risk and promote natural forest cycles. Now, listeners, wildfire are often classified by characteristics like uh, phys- uh, cause of um, ignition, um, physical properties, uh, and the effect of weather on the fire. Now, wildfire behavior and severity result from a combination of factors such as, uh, as available fuels, physical setting, and weather. And spoiler alert, dear listeners, um, climate change is playing a big role on that as well. So we will discuss this matter as well um, with the guest. So I was talking about the guest, uh, dear listeners, we will um, also call the first guest uh, just in a few seconds. Um, just to remind you, um, this is August 2023, and we have seen, we have heard reports about wildfire in Chile this year, in Chile in the beginning of the year, which was January. 
yeah, in January and February we had uh, wildfire in Chile. Now um, you just heard in the news Hawaii, Greece, um, Italy, Portugal. Uh, yes, this is what I can think of. So this is just happening right now in this day and age. And, and you can think, you know, there are many reasons of wildfire and there are many destruction as well and it's very basically it's not just harming us this is harming also other animals as well and the list is um part, most importantly is that what i've always seen is that you know those people who are trying to fight the fire who are putting their life and service for us or in danger for us their names have not been mentioned or and this is something which makes me very you know sad sometimes because these are the real heroes we should remember um but as I said, uh, the listeners, this is something we will discuss further as well. But before we do so, um, I'm very delighted to ha- say that we have our first guest online, which is Professor S- Stephen Dorr, who is the professor of wildland fire at Swansea University, and who is also director of the Center of Wildfire Research and editor in chief of the International Journal of Wildland Fire. The listeners, he has investigated wildfires over three decades across all fire-affected continents and has held uh, collaborative research positions in Australia, Spain and the USA and working closely with scientists, resource managers and firefighters. Professor St- uh, Stephen Dor- Dor, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, no, it's my honor. I'm very delighted to have you with, with me. Um, before we carry on, your surname is it called Durr? Yes, that's right. Durr. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, um, Professor, um, I'll just mention that in 2023 we have heard reports about wildfires in many parts of the earth, many countries as well. Um, you have done also research in different countries as well around the world, such as Australia, Spain, and the USA. Now, based on your experience, what would you say is happening to the global trend of wildfires? Yeah, I mean, we have to remember that wildfires are actually normal around the world. So we have every year roughly the equivalent of the size of Europe uh, burning. Oh, okay. Most of those fires are in Africa, in savannas, and we rarely hear about those because mm. they, they happen almost every year and they're not very destructive. What we obviously hear about in, in the news, uh, and many many of those news are really shocking, are those extreme fires We've seen in Canada, we've seen in, in Greece, for example, in Algeria, mm-hmm. uh, in Hawaii right now. Mm. Um, so there are many fire problems uh, where humans are directly affected, either those through smoke uh, or through the flames itself. We had many deaths in Algeria, for example. Right now we're having some death in, in Russia. And what's, what's really happening is in terms of the trend of those destructive fires is that they are becoming more extreme. They're more difficult to fight. The flames are higher, they're moving at faster speed, and this is in part related to climate change. Not only, so there are other, other factors involved, but mm-hmm. climate change plays an important role in making those fires more severe and more dangerous. Okay, um, um, Professor, you talked, you said that, unfortunately, a lot of humans have lost their life as well. Um, are there any other health effects on us as well because of wildfire? Yes, what's often forgotten is that the, the, the major cause of, of uh, problems to human health is actually not the direct death from wildfires. These, these hit the news, of course, firefighters are being killed, uh, the public, uh, we have fever death amongst the public. But these are relatively small numbers if you compare them 
to other natural disasters, for example, mm. flooding, mm. Um, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, many more people get killed than those. But from smoke, wildfire smoke, we have many people who are dying prematurely or having other health problems. Um, for example, it's estimated that we have about 340,000 premature deaths across the world from wildfire smoke alone. This is not mm. air pollution from other sources. This is just wildfire smoke. Mm. And of course, this year in Canada, uh, we've had extreme fires that are that are uh, that have moved smoke into the United States, and we can expect the numbers, at least in the U.S. this year, of health effects and premature death to be much much higher than we've seen before. And um, what kind of damage do they cause to the affected habitats and ecosystems? Yeah, we have to um, remember again that fires are normal in many places. So if we talk about the African savanna, for example, mm. or even the, the boreal forests of Canada. These fires are, are natural, not necessarily their ignitions, but in general, these ecosystems are adapted to fire. Even if it looks very dramatic, the fires in Canada, for example, these rejuvenate the forests. So they're not necessarily a problem unless they're too frequent or affect too large um, areas that are too large and they can't recover very well. But in Europe, for example, including the UK here, uh, we have areas that are not really adapted to fire. The plants are not adapted to fire. The animals are not adapted to fire. And so they cause considerable damage, and it takes usually quite long for the ecosystem to recover. Okay, interesting. And, um, Professor, um, now those people who have to leave their houses, those who lost the places where they used to live, um, what sort of impact would this have on on, on the society, as we're speaking in the long terms? Yeah, the impacts of wildfire are really significant. As I said earlier, the number of deaths are relatively low, tragic as they are compared to other natural disasters. But if you look at the economic costs uh, to the individual and the insurance sector, for example, wildfires are per person affected the most expensive natural disaster. So financially, it's, it's a big impact. Uh, but also on a direct personal level, I, I mentioned the, the smoke emissions earlier that are, that are really a problem. But if you actually lose your property, um, that can or even just have to be evacuated and will be able to, your property has survived, then you will be able to move back in. The, um, the effect on um, mental health can be very, very substantial. Mm. So these are really, really dramatic events, particularly because they don't occur so often. In most people's memory, um, there will not have been a wildfire where an evacuation has been necessary unless you live in a very fire-prone area, such as Australia, for example, or even you know, the, the loss of your property. This, the property is not just obviously financial value. It's all those, the, the memories that you have. It's the belonging that you have. So from that perspective, um, wildfires can have a very dramatic impact. Um, Professor, you, you just mentioned Australia. I remember that a few years ago we had a wildfire in Australia which lasted for a year at least. Um, how is it possible that the wildfire can last for so long? And I remember they call it bushfire as well. Are there m different types of wildfire? Yes, there are many different types of wildfires. So actually most wildfires in forest areas, especially, again, what we see in Canada now, they last for months. Now, that doesn't mean that they are burning in one place for a month, but they're so vast that the fires slowly move through the landscape, very often in remote places, uh, and they can burn for three or four months. So the biggest fire that we've seen actually in, in Canada at the moment, um, the largest area burned is a fire that started many months ago. In Australia, you can have the same situation, maybe less extreme in terms of duration, but those bushfires or forest fires in, in many areas, they affect forests. They burn in very remote areas and the fire moves slowly 
across the landscape. So this is how they can last so long. From an individual perspective, if you, if you live near a fire, uh, what typically happens is that the fire moves perhaps at walking speed, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, and often within you know a day or perhaps even less, the fire, what's called the fire front, has moved through and it basically burned through an area, and it's not affecting you as a you know as 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 a resident anymore. Um, perhaps with the smoke, of course, with the damage, but the fire has actually moved past. So if we talk about a um, a single fire, they're usually usually defined by an ignition. Um, and that ignition then causes a fire that can burn over a very vast area, and then they they, they burn for a long time. What we're also seeing now in some areas, um, especially in the Arctic, is fires that are called zombie fires. That means they are they can actually burn through the winter under the snow, okay. and they reappear um, in the springtime. And so these fires they burn essentially for over a year or longer. Interesting and. Um, Professor, you talked about climate change as well. Um, like, as an individual, what can I do to reduce these threatening results of climate change? Well, there are quite a, quite a number of things that we can do. One thing is that we simply have to accept that fire is a, a part of um, the environment around us, not for everyone, but for many people, and the situation is getting worse. So fire will be with us, irrespective of the, the firefighting resources we have and so on. But because climate change is one aspect in, in making fires worse, we all have a role to play in this. And we should think twice about, you know, boarding a plane, for example, driving the extra mile somewhere where we can have a choice, where we can use public transport, where we can walk. We should try and reduce our carbon footprint. And the same goes for the, 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 the choices we make for food consumption um, and other aspects in life to really try and buy products that have a lower carbon footprint. The other thing we need to remember, and that, that affects perhaps some of the listeners you have on the show today, uh, the fires we saw last year in, in, in June around London, mm. where many properties got destroyed. Um, the reason those properties got destroyed is that we had a lot of fuel in the gardens and near the properties that is very flammable. And now in the UK, we are moving uh, to a time, not necessarily now at this point in time, it's been relatively wet now, uh, but generally in terms of over the years, we're moving to a situation where the landscape can become more flammable and we just need to be more aware mm -hmm. that we need to keep the flammable vegetation away from our properties because that's the one way to make sure um, that the property will not be affected by fire. Now, this is very important. I probably this does you have listened very carefully to that Um I will make sure that um, I will follow the instructions you just gave. Um, Professor Stephen, thank you for joining and uh, speaking about this very important topic and thank you for the advice you gave in the end as well. Um, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Listen, you just listened to Professor Stephen Durr, who is a professor of wildland fire at Swansea University and director of its Center for Wildfire Research and editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Wildland Fire. And interesting what he just said about wildfire and about climate change as well. Um, and he spoke about wildfire we have seen, we have uh, seen throughout history, which of which we are witnessing, or which we have heard in the news recently as well, like in Canada or Greece or Hawaii, etc. Um, if we just look on the history of wildfire, um, one thing which comes always in, into mind is, again, which we discussed as well, is about the Australian bushfire season which lasted for at least a year. Uh, and uh, interesting is that he also mentioned that in different parts of the countries, you could see 
uh, that fire was there. And in the end, it was also, I remember in the news, it was considered as kind of a mega fire as well, which was very difficult to handle as well. Uh, and uh, throughout, especially throughout uh, the southeast um, part of the country, you could see in different parts of that area, uh, bushfires. Um, and this is, again, like, you just think about it. This happened just a few years ago, and um, I'm just reading it right now that the fire burned an estimate uh, 24.3 million hectares, and it killed at least 34 people. And it was claimed that 3 billion um, were, effect, uh, were affected and some endangered species were believed to be driven to extinctions. Now, the coast of... Now this is crazy as well that species were basically just driven to extinction because of wildfire. Now, the cost of dealing with the bushfire was expected to exceed uh, 4.4 billion Australian dollar and and, uh, and uh, so you see that it has an impact on the financial um, point of the country as well. A lot of tourists who basically go and visit the countries would refrain on going to this country as well, which has an effect on the country as well. So there are many, many factors we can talk about which have kind of an effect on wildfire as well. Uh, which again, as I said, it is um, it's it is happening, and, and as Professor Stephen Dewar said, we should also try to prevent wildfire, and we should try to make sure that the uh, that at least our houses are safe, and uh, that our houses are safe from wildfire or catching on fire as well. Um, the listeners, um, as you know, in in, uh, in Hawaii. We have wildfire as well, uh, and um, now I'm reading Daily Mail have said that a hospital in Maui have become overwhelmed with burn patients at wildfire that have destroyed hundreds of homes and forced evacuations, evacuations on two of Hawaii's islands. Now, multiple people are feared dead, and countless are fearing for their lives after the. Uh, apocalyptic blazes set fire on the island paradise yesterday. And now, the fire fanned by strong winds from hurricanes Dora have burned structures, forced evacuations, and caused power outage in several communities. Now, the worst of the fires is in Muawi. One is torching parts of northern Waila, where tourist hotels like the Four Seasons and Hilton scatters the beach and another have destroyed the town of Lahaina. So the listen, this is just a report I've just read out about Hawaii. As I said, we have wildfire in other parts of the uh, earth as well. Right now in Canada, increase as well. Um, we will carry on with this as well. But before we do so, we have another guest online, which is Dr. Matthew Kosa who is a researcher associated at the Leverholm Centre of Wildfire at Imperial College London, and his research interests include climate modelling and climate and environmental policy. Dr. Matthew Koso, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, doctor, before we carry on, um, so, uh, your second uh, your surname, is it, called, is it pronounced Kassor? Yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah. So, so Dr. Kasso, um could you just start by telling us a bit about what your role in the Leverham Centre for Wildfire consists and 
of and the process of climate modeling? Sure, yeah. So, as, as you say, thank you for the introduction. Uh, so, I work at the Leaving Centre for Wildfires at Imperial College London, and my work is, is using climate models. So, these are computer simulations of, of the Earth system, of the, the atmosphere and the ocean and the, the land surface. And we use these computer models to look at how emissions from fires, so the smoke from fires, affects the atmosphere and the climate, and also how climate change is affecting the risk of fires and the danger that fires cause, uh, both in the present day and looking at different future scenarios, how that might change in the future. Interesting. And from, from, from your research... Could you explain the major disadvantages of wildfire and if there are any possible advantages as well? So, yeah, so as, as you said in your, in your piece already, so we're, we're seeing some of the mm. destru- destruction that's already that's been caused by some very extreme wildfires uh, this year. So the, the ones that are just happening in, in Hawaii, the ones we saw in the Mediterranean, particularly in Greece over uh, the last few weeks, and also some really, really large fires uh, in Canada, so these have caused, say, destruction of property. They've caused large numbers of people to have to be evacuated. Um, they've caused a number of fatalities. Uh, and aside from the those sort of more obvious, more tangible sort of risks of sort of direct uh, direct risk to property and life from fire, uh, we also saw, particularly with these fires from Canada, um, that you can get really, really severe smoke pollution from fires as well. So we we saw. A couple of months ago, scenes in in New York, for instance, where uh, New York had the worst air quality in the world for a period of a few days because of fires that were because of smoke from fires happening in Canada, which was being transported across the continent. Um, and so, actually, and in, in terms of the actual impacts on human health, the the smoke is actually often the the biggest impact that fires have. Um, so, yeah, the smoke from fires can spread long dis- long distances, affect people either a long distances from a fire um, and have really severe impacts on human health as well. So, yeah, both the direct sort of physical risk to property and life, but also the, the pollution effect from smoke, which can be spread mm-hmm. over a very large area, um, are, are both sort of very uh, big sort of concerns caused by fires. But it is, yeah, it is worth remembering that uh, fires aren't always bad. And in fact, uh, a lot of these ecosystems, for instance, these forests in North America, um, have evolved to have fire in them. So you know, we see we see plants that are actually adapted to fire. So trees that have very thick bark, which are designed to resist fire, and then have uh, pine cones, which will actually only open up after there has been a fire, um, which can actually help to fertilise the soil, and that triggers these seeds to then to open up and regrow after the fire. Um, savannas in uh, in Africa are another example of an ecosystem which is evolved with and maintained by regular fire. Um, so actually, yeah, in, in many parts of the world, fires have a re- can have a rejuvenating effect on the landscape as well, and, and the ecosystem has evolved with fires um, you know, as, as, a, as a feature of a landscape. So the, the, yeah, the problem comes when then people are sort of mm. trying to live in that landscape as well, um, and we are not adapted to, to live alongside fires in, in this environment. I understand. And um, Dr. Matthew, um, what advice would you give to us, to, to, to the people at home to, who try to mitigate this climate crisis on an individual level? 
So we are seeing increasingly big impacts uh, of fires because of climate change, which is making the risk of fires worse. And so in the long term, the most important thing we need to do is try and reduce our greenhouse gases, uh, because otherwise this will keep happening and keep getting worse. Uh, And so for people at home, I would say one of the most powerful things you can do is actually just use your voice and make it known that this Mm. is important to you. So this means, you know, talking to your local politicians, letting your letting politicians know that this is, issue is important to you and, and voting based on that issue as well. So you know, making it clear that you will vote for uh, politicians that are actually prepared to do something, but also talking to people around you, whether that's colleagues, you know, your, your employer or your school, and starting that conversation about, you know, within your organization, within people that you know, um, what steps could they be taking as well to try and uh, be more sustainable? So uh, both, yeah, both in terms of politics, but also in terms of yeah, your organisations, your employers, or your schools. Um, everyone has a role to play, and so just starting that conversation and making it clear uh, that this issue is important to you, I think, is actually one of the most powerful things that people at home can do. I'm sure, that's for sure. Um, Doctor, um, as you have seen with the wildfire increase, the scale of the damage to the environment and people is increasing. Now, what kind of policies are being put in place to try to control the growth of these events? Yeah, so again, long term, the only way we're going to control the growth of extreme events like this is by controlling climate change. And so uh, yeah, it is very important that you know, climate climate policy and sort of mitigating our greenhouse gas emissions mm. In the long run, is is the big climate, uh, the big sort of mitigating action that we can take to stop extreme fire events becoming increasingly severe. Um, but at the same time, we are stuck with the climate change that we, is already happening now. We can't undo that. And so, certainly in in Europe, in in the US, we are going to have to learn to live better with the kind of extreme fires that we are already seeing right now. And so. Yeah, that's going to mean things like uh, better land management policies um, to you know, make sure that we're not allowing build-up of, of large amounts of fuel and vegetation very close to areas where people are living, taking uh, increasing measures like uh, designing homes to actually be uh, resistant to the threat of burning down if there's a fire nearby. A lot of homes burn down because you know, embers from a fire get blown onto the home and set a fire to it and there are actually fairly simple things that you can do to uh, make design a property so that it's less likely to catch fire from that you know just having a, a boundary around a property mm. where you don't allow vegetation to get close to the property mm. can actually greatly uh, increase the chances of, uh, of properties not being destroyed even when there is a fire in the area um, and in some plot in some places like uh, some states in the US now insurance companies are kind of waking up to this and have uh, have schemes where they will offer uh, uh, a discount on uh, on insurance premiums if homeowners make their homes defensible to fires. Um, so it, there are things like that which are ha- which are just starting to happen um, as as awareness of, of this is is increasing. Um, but so it, yeah, it's going to require um, and there is some evidence that it's already happening. Um, action both from from individual homeowners but also landowners in terms of how they manage the land uh, to manage that increasing fire risk that we're seeing as, as the climate changes.
Interesting. Dr. Matthew Corsor, thank you for joining and thank you for the advice you gave me in the end, basically. It's very important that we should remember that and we should write it down. Um, I wish you all the best for the future and thank you again for joining. Thank you. Thank you. To listeners, you just listened to Dr. Matthew Corsor, who's a researcher associated at the Leverham Centre of for Wildfire and Imperial Co- at Imperial College London. And it's very interesting what he said in the end that we should make sure that our homes are safe and uh, that we should look for the environment as well and that we should speak out. One thing he has mentioned, especially for the climate change, that we should speak out, we should go to our MPs, we should go to the politicians, we should make them sure that climate change is life-threatening as well and uh, that our voices should be heard in in a way, in, in a good way, in a way that our voices are not causing trouble for other people. So in this sense that our voices are helpful and are co- going to the right people who can basically help us um, beating climate change. Dear listeners, um, um, we are going now for the news break. Do me a favor, stay tuned with the Voices of Slum Radio. And we will be back with the... After the news break, and we will discuss about the promise of the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community as well. So de- stay tuned. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to Shah Muni Ahmed. And basically, dear listeners, we just talked about wildfire. We had uh, two guests who told us that there are different types of wildfire, bushfire, etc. called like, can be called in the sense as well and the listeners um of course they talked about climate change as well that climate change is playing a big role now the listeners we have discussed this and things the guests they gave us free advices as well how we can try to prevent climate change or what we can do to um stop climate change and uh, to prevent wildfire he also now just Going because it's Voice of Islam Radio, why not discussing this matter from the Islamic perspective as well? Dear listeners, I told you that the Prophet Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he has prophesied certain things, or it was there were prophecies made about him, about his truthfulness. Um, now, you may be surprised um, what kind of prophecies. Now, these prophecies are about environment disaster that were made for him as a sign. I we come to this as well. But before we do so, I want to discuss also how the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, what, what advice he gave us basically, or what, what should we do to stop climate change or to prevent climate change. Now, uh, he said once that climate change, listen, he said climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world, now, especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing now, just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing near residential areas and because of this, forests are being cut and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. Now, 
So you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. Now, continuing His Holiness said, fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now, people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to the other place and the distance of only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. Now, in this way, pollution is increased. There are so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful, although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. So this is very important as well, that because of the fear of climate change, we shouldn't have any children. Yes, um, having children is a blessing from God as well. Um, one thing he has said was very interesting, that we have become very lazy. Now, I know people my surrounding who are lazy basically that if they have to walk for a small distance they would use the car by using the car you can use the uh, cycle as well or you can use the feet so this is what we can do to reduce climate change as well um um i just want to show you one clip as well also of this holiness where he also again gave us advice how we can prevent climate change do enjoy the clip my question is, how important is it for Ahmadi Muslims to fight climate change? Very important. You should use, try to avoid your using car while traveling for a short distance, right? Either walk to that place or use bicycle, hmm? right? Yes. Cycling is good for your health as well. Secondly, you Every Ahmadi should make it a point that he should plant two trees every year. This is how you can fight climate change. Huh? If you are here, if we have 30,000 Ahmadis here in the UK or more, then every year we plant 60,000 trees. Huh? If not possible here, then those who travel to other countries, they can plant trees there. So in this way, we can help. So, dear listeners, you just listened to His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed. How he gave good advice how we can prevent uh, climate change. Um, dear listeners, as I promised, we will have also a guest in the studio as well, which is um, Ibrahim Imam Ibrahim Nonan, uh, the Imam of the Ahmadi Muslim Community in Ireland, and he is right now with me. Uh, Imam Ibrahim, uh, welcome and good morning and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessing be with you. Um, Imam Ibrahim, we talked about we talked about wildfire, we talked about climate change, and I promise the listeners that these things are also linked or as a, as con, can be considered as a sign of truthfulness of the Prophet Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, can you just describe or explain how this is? can be considered as a sign of his truthfulness? Well, I mean, it, it is a sign in many ways. One would be that if we take the biblical accounts, and particularly the New, particularly the New Testament, mm. um, in chapter 24 um, of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was quite uh, emphatic upon how you will recognize his advent or the advent of the Messiah or in Hebrew the Messiah in the end times. So one of the things he clearly mentioned is when you see earthquakes, when you see diseases, when you see wars, rumors of wars, 
these will be all signs of his actual the advent actually the time of he's meant to come so yes of course there is some uh, natural disasters which are there which which are natural ongoings but but my personal opinion and those of many people including many christians what we're seeing what we're observing how the the famines the earthquakes the diseases are increasing more and more and more and more so this is clearly um, a sign of the truthfulness of the Hazrat Misim al Islam. Um, and, and I would like to add to that that the wars and rumors of wars don't necessarily mean global wars, as in one big world war. It's, these happened. The First World War, Second World War, God forbid the Third World War should happen. Um, but all these other wars which are going on now in, all around the world constantly, all in Yemen, in what we're seeing happening in Europe and our own doorstep, Ukraine. Um, and other places. So this is a clear sign that the advent of the Messiah has happened and that person and the only person who really has made the claim based, up, based upon all these signs is Hazrat Muzqalamad of Qadian. Interesting. Imam Ibrahim Nolan, thank you for that. The listeners, um, we'll conclude now the first segment of the show and we will come to the second part of the show which is also very interesting. It's about religion and it's about Abu Dhabi has built a multi-complex building where in this building a church, mosque and a synagogue is included as well, which I think you can't find in another part of the world as well, which is very interesting. And um, Imam Ibrahim, your name is Ibrahim, right? Yes. Um, There's one person mentioned in the Holy Quran as Ibrahim as well, and uh, he is very important not only for Muslims but also for Christian and Jews, I mean, for our listeners, for non-Muslim listeners, what would you, what would be the English name of Ibrahim? Abraham. Abraham, right? Yeah, I mean, that was my, actually, Prophet Abraham, as a, when, I was a, when I was a Christian, um, was my favorite prophet. Okay. Yeah. And, and why is this so? The main reason he was my favorite prophet is because of his belief in the unity of God, mm-hmm. the oneness of God in his um, absolute obedience and submission to him. This was the actual reason, because uh, when I was a Christian, I just loved that concept. Um, perhaps, uh, well, most people wouldn't know this. When I was 12 years old, preparing for my confirmation in the Catholic faith, Catholic Christian faith, you have to be confirmed at by the age of 12. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go through a process, preparing myself like others with me, and one of those processes was when the bishop would come to visit us at the school. And I happened to be there, obviously. And uh, he was explaining everything to us, why we must reconfirm our faith. So I put my hand up and I said, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. And he said, what is that? I said, I just don't accept the Trinity. Okay. I said to him, because I just can't see how the Trinity justifies the unity of God. Um, it's it's complex and it's not, doesn't make sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember the bishop, his name was Bishop Michael, he's passed away now. Bishop Michael actually called me up to him. He's a lovely man, mm-hmm. very good man. But he gave me three okay. gentle slaps on the, on the cheek and said, don't ask too many questions. The Trinity is a mystery. But for me, uh, even at that young age, 12, I knew enough that Abraham 
didn't preach this. Mm. So this is why the Prophet Abraham was my favorite prophet. Dear listeners, um, we will talk about more about Prophet Abraham. We, talk, we will talk about other religions as well. We will go for a short break. Do me a favor, stay tuned with some radio. And as we have uh, Imam Ibrahim with us as well. So as I promised, you will going to enjoy this second segment. So do me a favor, stay tuned with some radio. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. On one occasion, this humble one saw, in a state of vision, Surah Al-Fatiha, written on a piece of paper, which was in my hand, and the writing was so beautiful and attractive, as if the paper on which it was written was loaded with soft rose petals beyond count. As I recited the verses of the surah, many of these rose petals flew upwards, producing a sweet musical sound. The flowers were very delicate, large, beautiful, fresh and full of fragrance. As they ascended, my heart and mind were perfumed with their fragrance, and I felt so intoxicated that the delight that I had experienced turned my heart completely away from the world and all that is in it. This vision indicates that the rose has a special spiritual affinity with Surah Al-Fatiha. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. He is wonderfully omnipotent, and marvellous are his holy powers. While on the one hand, he allows ignorant opponents to attack his friends like dogs, on the other hand, he commands the angels to serve them. In the same way, when his wrath comes upon the world and his anger surges against the wrongdoers, God watches over and protects his chosen ones. Were it not so, the entire mission of the people of God would end in disarray and no one would be able to recognize them. His powers are infinite, but they are revealed to people in proportion to their belief. Those who are blessed with certainty and love and sever all ties for him and have broken free from selfish habits, it is for their sake that miracles are shown. God does what he wills, but he chooses to demonstrate his miraculous powers only to those who break from their ill habits for his sake. In this day and age, there are very few people who know him and believe in his extraordinary powers. In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. As I said, I'm here joined with Imam Ibrahim and we will discuss now some very important matter. You know, the, Imam Ibrahim, I've been told many, many times, Muslim, Jews, for, for especially Muslim and Jews, they can't live together. Um, but I remember... When the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, when he migrated to Yadr, Medina, to a new place, he lived there with Jude together. And uh, I, I believe he, he also made a plan. He made some, let's say, rules where they could li- live according to their own religion. So they have a kind of a freedom of religion as well, I believe. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the amazing things that um, if anyone is very honest, and when I say this, if anyone's very honest about the historical facts mm-hmm. of early Islam, they know that the Prophet, peace be upon him, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, made a pact, uh, an agreement with the Jewish community at that time. You are free mm-hmm. to practice your faith. Um, you can practice your faith in any way you want. The freedom is there. Um, and that's the way it was. And so, yeah, he did make that that beautiful pact, even with the even with the idol worshippers, any other person of any kind of a, of a religion or faith system, he gave them the freedom of, of practicing their faith. It's very unique. It's it, there. In fact, I I believe, and actually I believe this. It was probably 
uh, one of the first ever uh, interfaith type agreements amongst faiths in history. Okay, wow. uh, because in my own research of of, of uh, biblical uh, history and then of his Islamic history, I don't find anything equal to it in history. So it's, it was a first in my personal opinion. And uh, even if we study the Holy Quran, it is said that there are mentioned that they mentioning about people which are considered very holy in the Bible as well. Um, can you just elaborate? You, you mean the people of the book? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the thing is that um, anyone again who, with an objective uh, intention, mm. reads the Holy Quran. Uh, they will find another unique thing in the Holy Quran. How Almighty Allah has constantly praised and acknowledged the righteousness of uh, Christians, mm-hmm. of uh, Jews and, and Sabines, meaning people who had, who had some message. He constantly recognizes this. Uh, alongside, of course, he rebukes those who, who break the covenant. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, this is what Allah is con- cons- consistent through the Holy Quran. And that shows that we must have um, some kind of respect for each other. So therefore, if I see a Jewish man, I shouldn't just turn around and think, oh, he's, God forbid, a disbeliever or different faith, a Christian. No, rather I'd be smiling at him saying, welcome, my brother, because you belong to a, a very unique community. And that's the the, the union of, of, of the Abrahamic faiths. So... That's why we must have a great respect for them. So basically, you're saying that Islam is welcoming to all, welcoming other all the other religion and is acknowledging them as well that the faith they have is remarkable as well, like Islam as well. Yes, because um, we have to understand that if if you if you look at uh, the, for example, the Tanakh, which is the Torah, which is the the fi- first five books of Moses and the book mm. and the law, the books of law. If you read them, like Deuteronomy, Leviticus you will find some amazing and beautiful teachings from God Almighty from the Jewish faith. Um, and, and it's exactly in line with what the Quran teaches, which, ha- which it has to, because it's the same God, the same divine being, who spoke to Abraham and mm. Moses and all the other prophets. So we have to have that acknowledgement and respect towards them that we share we share a commonality and that commonality is just is almighty Allah SWT. that's oh, that's our that's commonality true. that's for true and you just mentioned Moses as well so basically Moses is he also be mentioned in the Quran as well he's con- he's re- repeatedly mentioned in the holy quran as a prophet of god as a messenger of god uh, as one sent by mm. god and uh, and he, you can see from the quran he's given great great respect and and a prophet, what status has a prophet in Islam? Well, you know, um, a prophet is a person who is very blessed to be chosen by God from among his own people. Okay. And the reason he's chosen from among his own people is because he stood out to be a person of high morals, ethics and principles, kindness and justice and equality, um, love for other people. And more importantly, his recognition of the divine, his recognition of God Almighty, whether that's Elohim, whether that's Yahweh, whether that's Adonai, Mm. whether that's Allah, whatever terminology you want to give to it, a prophet is a person who recognized the existence of that, that, that divine being and therefore God Almighty then chooses him as a prophet. I mean, 
even in the Old Testament, people may not, many, actually many Christians don't even know this, um, and many, perhaps many Jews people don't know this, that most of the prophets, in fact, I believe all the prophets of the Old Testament were given the name Messiah, which means okay. simply one who's anointed by God. So that's what a prophet is, a man who's anointed by God to lead and guide the people towards towards God Almighty. Oh, this is interesting, basically. And um, the listeners, I'm sorry, uh, you can jump in any time. The number is 0208-687-878. Um, if you want to know more about Islam and freedom of religion and how what Islam basically says about other religion, you can call him anytime. Or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK. Um, Imam Ibrahim, now coming back to Abu Dhabi, now they have built this building and where they have included all three, like, uh, three places of worship, church, synagogue, and mosque. Um, what do you think, uh, is this gonna, going to help maintain peace in the society? I believe uh, Abu Dhabi is doing something very great. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to do one of many things. The one thing it's going to do is going to remove all this normal concepts of Christians who often say, and I've heard it thousands of times on the high street here in England, Ireland, uh, where people say, yeah, but you can't do this and uh, you wouldn't be allowed to do this in, um, we, sorry, we wouldn't be allowed to do this in Saudi, mm. in Arab countries. This is going to break this thing. Because not only did Abu Dhabi build a church many years ago, a Catholic church, which is called actually uh, named after Mary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the biggest churches in, in, in Abu Dhabi. Now they're doing something even more unique. They're saying, let's build a complex. Let's have the three Abrahamic faiths and let's work together. Let's show the world that we can live together. And this complex will become a symbol of that. So I think that this will can create the opportunity for society, especially Arab society, to uh, uh, bring peacefulness amongst the, the the three main Abrahamic faiths, which is Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And what are the similarities between these three Abrahamic? Any sorry? Similarities between other similarities uh, between them? Yes. Well, the first thing is, um, from my own research over the years, is they have one thing in common: a covenant. Mm-hmm. And that covenant goes back to Abraham. Okay. It has Ibrahim alayhi salam. Okay. Uh, there has been other covenants before that. There's always been a covenant, by the way. But Hazrat Ibrahim al-Islam's covenant is something very unique. Because here, God Almighty says to the Prophet Ibrahim al-Islam that I'm going to make a covenant between you and your people. And I promise you that if you obey the commandments, if you act upon these covenants, if you stick to these covenants, the teachings towards God Almighty... Um, I will I will bless your progeny, spiritual progeny. So I think the first thing is a covenant. The second thing is they all believe in all of them, Christians, Jews, and Muslims believe in the Prophet Abraham as, as the father of all prophets. Um, that's a commonality. The other commonality they have is that they believe in they believe in the oneness. Now, I, when I say this, I need to clarify one thing after this. They believe in the oneness of God. Now, what I mean by that is Muslims do, Jews do. Mm. Early Christians, we call them Christians, but they were not termed Christians. They were mostly Jewish Christian mm-hmm. type people. They believed in the oneness of God. The concept of the Trinity came later on, much later on. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so those early Christians believed in the oneness of God. Like uh, the Ebionites, like the Essenes, 
and and the the Nazarenes, they're all particular sects within early 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 Christian communities who were, who were mostly following um, the the real teachings of Jesus, which was the oneness of God. So that's where the commonalities are. So you're saying the early Christian was still influenced by Jesus, followed on, believed in one God, and. This. Yes, yeah. The early Christians only believed in one God. I mean, that's why when you mm. come to uh, maybe third century, okay. when uh, when the, the, a priest, a and a bishop, one was a priest, one was a bishop, Arius, there was a dispute. Okay. And the dispute was, hang on, we we are one particular community, Christians. We don't believe in in Jesus being God. Okay. We believe in him being a a prophet, a Messiah. But not God. The others in that same period disputed with these people by saying, "Well, no, he's part of the Godhead. He's part of the substance of God. This is something which was actually alien to the early Christian, Jewish Christian people." And anyone who studies that area in history would see this. That's why the dispute it took four hundred and forty-one. It took four hundred years to um, to consolidate this concept of Christianity we have today, which is there's a triune God, right? So the early Christians are certainly believing in the oneness of God. I mean, there's a, there's a group even now still in existence mm. called the Unitarians. They only believe in one God. They don't believe that Jesus is God. So this is the commonality. Well, it's very interesting. Okay. Um, Imam Ibrahim, um, uh, you just mentioned before you converted to Islam, um, and you, you have... Discussed that like with people from other faiths as well here in the UK in Ireland as well. Um, how do they see Islam in Ireland? In Ireland, yes. Um, I, if I'm going to be honest, most uh, most Irish people um, are patient with it. Okay. Um, but. Most of them would probably say, "Well, I'm sorry, uh, we don't believe in Islam. We believe in only in Christianity. We 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 acknowledge you. We recognize you. We mm. we're happy for you. We're happy for you to be here and to practice your faith. But really, this is a Christian country, and Jesus is God. There is a triune God, and the only way to pass salvation is Christianity." That is general what it is at the moment. Actually, there's a huge revival going on in Ireland at the moment from amongst young people. Um, but there are others who um, have recognized and shown an interest in Islam and recognized that the Prophet, peace be upon him, was a lovely person. Um, but they'll only go so far as well. I have yet to come across a, a Christian in Ireland who would readily say, you know what, I believe he's a prophet. Okay. Yeah, because if they say that, the only option for them is to accept Islam. True, um, true. So that's that's where it is at the moment. Um, you know, um, Ibrahim. Uh, in the media, especially I've seen in the media that they say that um, there is no mutual understanding between Islam and other religion. Um, on your view, what is the importance of developing understanding of other religion and building a mutual respect between them? Well, um, I think um, there was a time in my life, uh, I must come back many years ago now, but there was a time in my life as a Muslim, mm. I would have been a mullified Muslim in the sense I would, okay. my position was very clear mm. that no, Islam is the only way and I'm going to hold my ground on this. 
And what, what I was finding over the years was, whereas I, it was my right to say that, it was my right to say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, there's none worthy of worship except Allah, and that's it. Now, the only way to, the only way to salvation right now is Islam, and, and indeed it is, right? But I chose to um, go down the road of what's known as, um, let's, get, let's get my head now, what's known as, um, um, cut my, it's not interface, another word. Um, uh, it's got to skip my mind now. But I, anyway, to go down the road of a interfaith agreement or interfaith theology where we have to find ways to build bridges between the other faiths so that we could build upon uh, what we have in common. And hopefully that would create a door or a bridge for better understanding between us, to have a greater understanding that we have more in common than we have in difference. And hopefully that was the aim of that, not by me but others as well, was to um, uh, create a more peaceful uh, 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 a more peaceful society amongst us so that there wouldn't be arguments against us, there wouldn't be hatred towards each other, we'd be able to sit with each other. This is a reality. There are, there are, there are Christians here in the UK... And there are Christians in Ireland, and particularly in Northern Ireland, which I do a lot of, I do a lot of Tablik in Northern Ireland mm. as well, right? Won't Presbyterians who won't sit with a Catholic. Okay. They just won't sit with them. I remember once uh, inviting a Presbyterian uh, theologian to one of our interfaith programs, and I sat in his own shop, and he he turned around, he goes, and in his Northern Ireland accent, he goes, "Will there be a Catholic there?" And I said, well, yeah, of course, we'll have a Catholic. I, I, I can't come to that. And okay. I went, why? He goes, I won't sit next to a Catholic. They're, they're going to hell. <laughs> and so this, this, I, even now, 21st century Ireland, I was shocked. I mm. said to him, you're living in the past. Now, I did manage to get him eventually in on the table. Why? So that's what's needed. It really is needed, actually. Mm. Um, if you go to Hyde Park, you know I go to Hyde Park or Locksbeaker's Corner. Mm. I've been there recently. And you see some of the Christian brothers there, the, the missionaries there, the, the apologists there. If you mention the word Catholic, they just go mad. They think, no, they're, they're Kafir, they're disbelievers, they're, they're infidels. And I was like looking at them thinking, wow. This is really, you still believe in this stuff? So I think this interfaith uh, is a must. It, we must work harder on it. We must, we must sit down. Of course, we're, we are, there is a point we're not going to agree upon. There, there has to be that one area which we cannot um, possibly cross that bridge at this moment. And that is um, whether Jesus is God or not, or whether Jesus is the only way to salvation. Um, because that's where the dividing part would come between us and Christians because if they accept the prophet being a prophet hmm. then they have to embrace Islam in fact in 1963 to 1965 in, in, the, in the Vatican II Council saying that the bishops um, they discussed this and the problem they had was now the world was getting bigger and wider so Christians were meeting Muslims one great uh, Catholic theologian Christian theologian was Professor Hangs Kung, a former priest. Um, I've read I've read every book he's ever written, and I was a big fan of it. He died a few years ago. Um, 
he himself said that um, they had to acknowledge the truthfulness of Islam. They had to acknowledge that there was righteousness amongst Muslims. And in Vatican II, they actually said this, that we recognize and respect Islam, uh, Muslims, not Islam, Muslims, mm. for their belief in the oneness of God. Uh, we, we believe there, they, there, there are definitely the possibility of them achieving salvation. But they didn't mention the Quran, they didn't mention mm. the Prophet, because if they did that, they would have to accept Islam. Mm. So that's the goal, I believe, that we as Ahmadi Muslims, that's our goal, that's what our goal should be. That's what Hazrat Khalifa Tulmisi uh, Al-Khamas, may Allah be pleased, he be his helper, is aiming, he's pushing us to the world towards that direction, is to get the rest of the world to recognize Prophet Muhammad uh, is an authentic prophet. And I'm actually writing a book on this at the moment. I'm on my third chapter, written. Um, that, that book will be called um, In the Shade of the Prophets, A Covenant with Allah. And okay, well. it's all about this. Mm. It's all about the need for this. So you just spoil it a bit. Yeah. Good. That's interesting. Interesting to know that. So, um, interesting. Now, um, one thing, uh, Imam Ibrahim, you, you said that few people believe because they're living here, for example, in the Western society, for example, in Ireland, UK, etc. And they say this is a Christian country. So basically, what does it mean? Is there other few parts of the world that they are only considered as Christian and doesn't mean that no other religion can live there? Is there any like rule for that? Or was there any rule made by any prophet? There's quite a few places. Um, I would have said in 1970s, Ireland was one of them. Mm. I remember that. I, I mean, in Ireland, 1970, 71, 72, 73, I mean... I was coming 12, 13, 14. I remember the Catholic Church wouldn't allow any other religion, any other missionaries of any other into Ireland. They were banned. They were forbidden. Only Catholic Church. But there are countries like that. Um, Ireland obviously has changed. Northern Ireland is still like this. Now, even though there are Muslims living in Northern Ireland, mm -hmm. they're there. But predominantly, especially from the Presbyterians, especially from the Protestant communities, um, as far as they're concerned, there's no room for any other faith there. Even though Muslims are there, right? Greece. I've been there now, and uh, I went there. Uh, Hazur sent me there, alhamdulillah. Uh, the head of our community sent me there. Um, His Holiness, Hazrat Khalifa Tilmasi V, um, to, on their Jalsa and also Peace Symposium. And uh, I was really taken back of the hatred and the anger towards Muslims there. So as far as the okay. Greek, no, I'm not talking about all the Greek people. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the, 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 the Orthodox Church. As far as they're concerned, no other faith is allowed, should be in that country. Uh, Muslims are just not welcome. Dirt, dirt on the ground, basically. Mm -hmm. So there are some countries like that. I think uh, the other country you may find is um, um, the Philippines. Okay. There is a, there, there is a, Philippines is a very strong Catholic country. Um, perhaps you will find Israel. Mm. Palestine, I mean, I say Israel when emphasizing the Jewish faith, but Israel, Palestine. In Israel, you are not allowed to preach, full stop. Okay. If I go there and preach Christianity, it's not allowed. It's forbidden. <clears throat> um, you're not allowed to preach Islam there either. It's forbidden. So that means they just want the Jewish faith there. So there are, there are countries that are there which are um, trying to stop, um, I suppose, the spread of any other faith. In my opinion, there's one allegation always made 
against the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that he had spread Islam with the sword. Um, is it true that, uh, because in history we see that he had to go for war, but is it true that he has spread Islam? No, no. I mean, this is, um, I was in Hyde Park last Sunday, mm. and I was uh, having a, it was a debate, I suppose, but uh, with a Christian evangelist called Bob. Mm -hmm. um, I've nicknamed him Bob the Builder now. Okay. Uh, so Bob is quite an intellectual. Bob is um, is an actual um, very um, intellectual and he's very, very well researched. And I was shocked what he was presenting um, there. I, I intervened on the conversation. I got involved in the conversation when he was presenting Islam in, what you, in, in the way you've just talked about now. So I told him very categorically that, like every other prophet of God, um, when a faith needs to expand, there could be conflicts. Mm -hmm. And not from the prophets starting the conflicts, those who oppose the prophets will start the conflict. And this is the case with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. We know for 14 years he, he sat peacefully, passively in Mecca got severe persecution. I mean severe to the point of companions being killed, mm. martyred, uh, women, our ladies, Muslim ladies were put on camels and uh, tied to one, or one side or the other and ripped apart. I mean, this this is the severity of the persecution. Mm. Um, ladies who are pregnant were put on top of camels. I've sat on a camel that's quite mm. high up, pushed off, oh. losing their life and losing the life of the baby. Right? So people... The Christians don't do justice on the persecution of the Holy Prophet and they don't recognize his, his humility and his greatness and his patience. Of course, when he chose to move to Medina with the intention of, of being, living in a peaceful life and living a peaceful life with his community, and then uh, the Meccans weren't happy. They decided, no, let's go there and let's get rid of this man. Let's, let's finish infant the infant's islam in, in its infancy mm. uh, so they sent armies there of course he had to defend himself it was the right to defend himself so as islam uh, expanded as more people accepted it um, and as the prophet was becoming now recognized as a a, a leader a, a a statesman a prophet the 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 the, the Abyssini empire the roman empire all were looking at this and we know from historical facts through history, they were coming across the borders. Of course, the Prophet now being the new uh, statesman, the new leader, the Prophet of, of the Hejaz, uh, now in Saudi Arabia, he was duty-bound to protect his citizens, which were Jews, mm -hmm. which were Christians, which were even, even pagans. Um, so he had to make clear, a clear understanding to all these other empires. Okay, listen. Okay. If you come and invade our country, if you come to create chaos, and we have no chaos in our country, we have no, we have every right to, to stop you. So of course, Islam, as it expanded, as it as it went into other countries, like like when when it spread into Persia, when it spread into Abyssinia, when it was spread into the Roman empires, um, uh, you're going to get more people opposing them. But was Islam spread by the sword in that way? No. Because whenever Islam, Muslims, the Muslim armies or, or whatever went ahead, they would always try to reason with everyone that, look, we're here, we're peaceful, 
work with us, sit with us, let's talk with each other, let's let's live with each other. Um, you know, under our protection, we will give you every right. And that is one of the most outstanding facts of Islam, uh, um, of how, uh, you know, they were offered this agreement. And the Moors in Spain for 800 years is a perfect example after the golden period of Islam. And I've and all the books I have read in this research, I've read in this about that period of history in the Moors. It, it's nowhere in the world in religious history will you find such a role model of tolerance, of patience, of of uh, interreligious uh, inter dialogue um, then in that period of time. So and this allegation on the Prophet is absolutely unfounded. And um, I think what really annoys me, and which I saw some, sometimes which really uh, disappoints me in a way, is um, I, I, I mentioned this many times before um, over the years, um, there is something which I termed as when I was before I became a Muslim, when I was studying theology, mm-hmm. um, I had to write a paper on the Gospel of Mark, and when I did my research for that paper, I came across many scholars who wrote many things, but I was shocked to find many of them being dishonest. Okay. Right. So in my paper, I I said three times, uh, dishonest theology. Okay. Right. And I remember the rector of that university called me into his office and said to me, can you define what is dishonest theology? He said he never heard it before. So the point here is these Christian scholars know, they know what they're saying is not entirely true. In fact, they know it's not true. So they are being dishonest in their representation of Islam historically and theologically. And um, you just said that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was duty bound to protect people from different faiths in his time as a leader, like Jew, Christian. So this means that we who are living here in the West, we are also duty bound to protect people from different faiths. And uh, um, is it important or is it like, can we choose it or is it really important that we should do so? It's very important we do so, mm-hmm. that we should pursue this. I mean, uh, the Hazrat Khalifa Tilmisi, the fifth, May Allah be his helper is leading the way in this. He okay. is. He is. He has sat with some of the r- major religious leaders of the world. I mean, in two thousand sixteen, I think the World Religious World Religious Conference. That's a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. He on that stage, if you remember it, you had one of the most senior uh, uh, rabbis from Israel. You had uh, Orthodox um, um, uh, priests. So you had every type of representation there um, and I remember actually as an example of this I was sitting next to a friend of mine who I brought as a guest uh, Rabbi Yankee and Rabbi Yankee I remember uh, when he was listening and first he was shocked to see such senior members of Israel sitting on that table right hmm. and he of the Jewish faith and um, I remember when Hazor was when Hazor was addressing the conference uh, Rabbi Yankee unconsciously said out loud, this man is not from this world. Mm-hmm. This man is from God. We need more people like him, mm-hmm. right? So what does that mean? That means on, that means that here is a, a, a Muslim leader, the Khalifa of Allah, the, the representative of God Almighty, um, pursuing peace religiously. He wants the world religion to sit down, come together, let's talk, let's move forward 
and and let's find a way to live in peace together. So it, it is a must because until we achieve that, you're always going to have someone else creating havoc, creating trouble, creating empathy against another faith. And uh, um, now having like building in Abu Dhabi, Um, of course, we must respect uh, places of, of uh, other uh, places of worship from different um, uh, religions as well. But are we? Do we have to also protect these places as well? Yes, a hundred percent. First of all, it's mentioned clearly by Almighty Allah in the Quran to respect uh, respect their their all these places, all holy places. The Holy Prophet peace on him himself mentioned it very clearly. That uh, it's our duty to protect the synagogues, the churches, the covens, the coven, the the coven, the convents, etc., etc., and that's what we should be doing. So, therefore, if tomorrow we know that a, a a synagogue is going to be attacked or burnt down, we should be standing in front of that synagogue saying, "No, mm-hmm. as Muslims, we won't allow you to do this." I had the honor of doing this, by the way, uh, many years ago. Um, um, I, I was only in Amity about two years, right? Uh, there was there were some Jewish men uh, praying up against a wall uh, in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a shopping mall, and there were some Muslims and uh, non-Amity Muslims abusing them. So I stopped what I was doing, went out, and stood in front of them, right? And some of these Muslims knew me, and they said, "Why are you protecting these uh, these?" Um, Kafirs, these disbelievers, this these Yahud, whatever, and I had to remind them this is what the Prophet instructed. Mm. So when when all this finished, the Jewish men were shocked, and I told them, "Look, this is what Islam teaches. So this is what we have to do. If it's a Catholic church being attacked, if it's a Protestant church being attacked, whatever it is, even if it's a temple, even if it's a Buddhist uh, Islamic or, or Buddhist meditation center, we really should be the first." In line of protecting those people. So, before, like, we should be in the front line, and we and we have to be in the front. We line. have to be in the front line. Yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. That's yeah. very important as well. Um, for those like for those youngsters, young Muslims who are you now going to brought up here in the Western society. Um, how important is it that that they should also follow their faith here in the Western society? Because it's very difficult as well. Because they will have people from different backgrounds as well. What advice would you give them as well to respect their beliefs as well? Well, unfortunately, what I find with a lot of young young Muslims is they are they are first of all overwhelmed by materialism. Hmm. They're overwhelmed by peer pressure. They're overwhelmed by. Uh, But peer pressure. What I mean by that is, they're overwhelmed in universities, friends around them who are maybe not Muslims, mm. right? And even though they want to be a Muslim, but they are conscious that they're not following the group, they're not moving in the same direction, so they won't always admit they're Muslims, or they won't practice their faith in front of people. Um, I think our young people should be proud to be a Muslim because. If they really study the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as an example, that for me is a starting point. Mm. Is they will find the most noble, the most great, the most moral, the most ethical, the most caring, 
the most person of empathy. The, uh, there isn't any part of his character which they cannot fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if they found him in that way, then they should become ambassadors of him. And then, of course, that will lead to them having appreciation of the Quran. And secondly, they should read the Holy Quran. This is the biggest problem. You know, when I was at the Qudam in the UK many, many years ago, mm. uh, many Qudam used to come to me uh, panicking in one way or another. I've heard this from Muslims. I heard this from Christians. And I used to say to them, read. Go and read the Quran for yourself. Read our books. We have every answer to everything. But you're not reading, right? Once you read, you will gain knowledge. Once you have knowledge, you will be calm because you will be not worried what people are saying. That's one thing. The other thing is they shouldn't be afraid to be seen as Muslims either. Now, what I mean by that is they wear the most modern clothes. And I'm not against fashion. Fashion is there. Young people like fashion. But they should, they should, they should be seen as a Muslim as well. Now, I, I have a particular position on this. I think every young Muslim man should have a beard, as mm. an example, right? But I also think they shouldn't be afraid to have some symbolism of Islam upon them, whether that's wearing a topi, whether that's um, actually saying to their friends, look, I'm sorry, i got to go and offer my salat, mm. and put the janamaz out and put the topi on their head, and be proud to be seen mm. doing that. That's, that's what I think our young people should be doing, and, and they shouldn't be deceived by the world. Um, in any shape, in any form. If, if they look at many young Christians, evangelists, they're very proud of their faith. They're very open about mm. their faith. We should be doing the same. Um, I, I mean, Ireland, this is what I'm doing with a lot of the young people now. I'm pushing this point on them. Um, I think this should be done here. Um, I think more, maybe more emphasis needs to be done here. Um, I think what I'm finding in my own thing is that uh, many of our young Muslims uh, young Khudam and even Lajna, they are, um, what's the word I want to use? They are being overwhelmed by the anti Ahmadiyya position. Mm-hmm. They're being overwhelmed by the anti Islamic position. They're being overwhelmed by uh, secularism, right? Yeah, as you know now, the LGBT and now about transgender mm-hmm. and now identifying of whether they are whatever they want to be. This is over. This is a pure secular agenda, atheist type concepts, which is which is basically uh, taking taking Almighty God out of the equation. Our young people need to stop, reflect, and they need to become the the beacons of light. They need to become the ambassadors of Islam from a young age, and they need to become the pillars that will stand up against anything of uh, an Islam. But more importantly. They should be standing up for the rights of everyone, but as Muslims. As Muslims, that's very important. Very good advice you basically give for the youngsters as well. I think this is something we should follow. And what I could sense, what you trying to, what you explain is that we should brave as well. We shouldn't be shy, but we should be brave as well. We should. Uh, we have to be brave. Indeed, now today we have to be brave mm. because. Um, uh, how how can I give you an example of this? Um, I, I I mean I I go to gym regularly, mm. right? Um, and uh, I remember, I mean, maybe a year ago, there was a young Muslim girl came into the gym. I mean, she was obviously a Muslim. Um, and she chose just to wear the hijab, and she didn't care. She came with full hijab. Her, her clothing was loose. And there's a, there's a ladies' area in that gym. But I remember when she came into that gym, I was so proud to see it for many reasons. 
One, it removed this wrong concept that women cannot are not allowed to keep themselves healthy, healthy and fit. Number two, she wore the hijab with pride. And mm. uh, now there's like 20 of uh, Muslim women and they're all doctors from the hospitals. Well, now, this is just an example of... of um, and the reason I brought this example up is because many Irish people in that gym now who I know all appreciated that. Okay. They all said, Amazing. wow. And I remember one one Irish woman saying to one of these Muslim girls, young women, that, wow, well done. We, we, are, we are happy to see you here. And why it wasn't done before? Because they were too afraid to do it, right? Uh, as you probably know, I do martial arts as well, Taekwondo, mm. in Taekwondo schools, and there are Muslim girls came with the hijab. This means, th- this means that they're coming, they're taking part in the, f- the full part of society which is allowed, right? And that is actually breaking down barriers. And now Irish people in these places are going, well, you know, I know Muslims, they're not like this, right? So they should be brave and, and, and stand up with pride. I'm a Muslim and I'm very proud to be a Muslim. And, and claim with Ahmadis, we're Ahmadi Muslims. We should be standing also pride mm. with pride and be brave. We're Ahmadi Muslims and we should be proud of it. Just coming to the end of the show, for our non-Muslim listeners who want to learn more Islam, what advices or what resources would you tell them to look after? They should go on... Well, now look, they can go onto any website they want, but mm. uh, from from perspective of Ahmadiyya is concerned, they should go onto our websites alislam.org they should not be afraid to read all the books which are free on those sites and the first book I would tell them to read after the Quran is the life of Muhammad peace be upon him because once they read that Hmm. they will come to know the greatness of that prophet and then they will be more inclined to learn a bit more about Islam learn more about about who's the Messiah and Mahdi this is what I would tell them I give anyone I meet the first book I give them is life of Muhammad Interesting, very amazing. You spoke about, you gave advices for youngsters as well, and you spoke about similarities and origin of freedom, uh, like what Islam has basically told us. It's very interesting, and I'm sure, dear listeners, you have enjoyed listening to Imam If you want to listen to the show again, you can do so on SoundCloud. Imam Ibrahim Nolan, thank you again for joining. Thank you for our listeners for joining as well. And thank you for our researchers as well and for producers as well, uh, Saleh Ahmed, and to our technical team who has uh, worked throughout the show as well. Um, I wish you all the best for the future, dear listeners, and do stay tuned with Voice of Radio. Assalamu alaikum.